Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness, help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's guest is my new friend, Graham Tuttle, also known as the Barefoot Sprinter. He is a coach that specializes in building better athletes from the ground up through a focus on intrinsic foot strength. He's one of the most brilliant minds on the internet around how to develop the architecture of our lower body and the integration to the rest of the body. Our feet are the foundation of the way that we feel the world, the way that we move, the way that we develop strength, speed, endurance, agility, all the things. And this conversation taps into exactly how and why to do that. I think you guys are going to dig it. We record this live in, well, it was live at the time of recording it, and on it here in Austin, Texas. We also recorded some really excellent YouTube videos that we'll be posting over on the Align Podcast YouTube page, so jump over and check that out. Uh, the video that's going up this week is five fundamentals on how to sprint better. I think it is an exceptional tutorial on how to make that happen. It's very simple, easy to follow, and it's exercises I think everybody should have in their lives. Uh, I want to thank you guys for subscribing, sharing. I'm just so grateful for you guys tuning in. I want to read a review on Apple Podcasts from Manny Bauman. Manny says, perfectly aligned. Mr. Aaron Alexander's podcast is an artful mixture of everything that will tickle your human essence, psychedelics, spirituality, body balance and health psychology and she goes on to write a bunch more beautiful things not opening up the whole review but uh, that's what i see in the the front portion here i appreciate you guys leaving us reviews it's a great way to support the podcast i appreciate you uh, engaging with this information sharing it implementing it and doing your thing let's get to the conversation with my guy graham tuttle I'm curious with you, Graham Tuttle. How do you say it? I've, it's just Tuttle, but I think it comes <laughs> from. So apparently, it's. Uh, I didn't know this. this. Is the beauty of social media is like, you get people like just know stuff and they message you because I put up my ancestry thing and it's like all like it was Scottish, English, Irish, Wales, like that little group of islands. Like it's eighty percent of my people's. I know I'm. But how do you tan. say Irish? What's, what's Tuttle in an Irish accent? I have no idea. Tuttle. 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 But it's kind of like, I think it's Tut Hill, and they get shortened to that. And it's like, uh, it's it's very interesting. It's kind of a boring thing uh, when you look at the name, because some people have like, you know, like, Enlightened Soul. It's like, mine's like, yeah, it's just Gray Hill. Yeah, okay. Graham. It's like Graham Tuttle. Like, Tut Hill. It's like the people from that. But it's a specific little clan of people in Ireland that then moved, and I don't know. So I'm told. Where I would like to start in this conversation is, I wonder in your experience, what is been the overarching factors of effect of slamming humans feet into shoes since they're little unassuming children at the age of you know whatever three years old two years old when you start putting our sweet innocent unassuming vulnerable multifaceted feet into shoes what the hell happens so it just as a disclaimer i'm a failed personal trainer and a meathead so anything I say just ignore it all but from what I've seen I I think there's two parts that are valuable if you've ever made a baby had a kid or seen them and you touch their feet they do this amazing thing where they basically squeeze their toes in and so you could see from the very beginning it's like if you look at a baby they're these little sensory 
perceiving things, but they're looking at the world. Their eyes are big, their mouth is open, their hands are moving, their feet are moving. They're looking to grab and hold on to everything. And so there's this uh, pretty much original orientation of our feet towards the world around us is that these things are sensory inputs. And so when we go and we say, okay, I want to go and have this, like my, my feet, which would otherwise be like a thermometer for the ground, how dense it is, what the temperature is, how soft it is, how safe it is, if it's a hole, where I'm moving. That's how we would integrate with the world. But we don't because we end up in a situation where it's like, well, you know, we shove them in the shoes. So that's the first part. You can look and say kids are moving their toes. The other thing is I think is helpful for looking at people is like if you look at your hand, the structure of the hand, which is the carpals, which are the base bones of the, the palm of the hand, then there's the meat of your hand, which is made up by metacarpals, which are longer bones that run along the length of from your carpals to your knuckles or the first set of knuckles. Then you've got your phalanges, which are tiny little bones in the fingers. One of my favorite words. Phalanges. Oh, yeah. That's a metatarsal phalange. Phalange is a good it's, one. It's, it's just great because it makes you sound so much smarter than really is like, oh, it's just finger bones. Oh, yeah. But that's the same setup as your foot. You have your tarsals, which are the bones of the feet at the, around the heel. Then you get your metatarsals that run out the meat of the foot. And then you get your phalanges, the same number. And so technically there's eight carpals and seven tarsals. That's neither here nor there. But the point is that you look at all the things that we have. So we don't get hangnails on our fingers. We don't have bunions with our thumb. We don't have, uh, what do you call it, hammer toe with the, the finger. Hang, hang, we don't have hammer finger. We don't get metatarsalagia with the, the hand. So all these made-up semantic terms we have for the feet, none of that happens to the hands. And yet they're the same uh, physiological anatomical structure, right? They, we do have some differences because we've morphed to stand and walk on them. But we think all these things we think are normal, right? What happens is like we normalize dysfunction over time. And then it's funny, I was doing Instagram Live a few weeks ago and I was talking just about you know, just feet and health. And somebody popped up in the comments, which is always a lovely thing to read. But he goes, you know, you need to, what's your proof? And I was like, well, proof for what? He goes, well, you need to you make a claim to back up that we don't need to wear shoes. I was like, wait, this foam sole shoe has been around since 1972. That's 50 years. For millions of years beforehand, our ancestors were developing the capacity to walk and move and run on two feet. The shoes are the latest thing. So if there's any imposition to go and say, you need to have a proof of a claim that you need to have this, it would be you telling me I should wear shoes. But we lost perspective on that. So the irony of all these things, the things we normalize, so hangnails, for example, or the fact that our toes get smashed together. Well, those only happen because we have a raised heel shoe. If I have a building and I pop up one side, the whole thing slants forward. So then there's compensations that happens to the knee, the hip, the back, and the neck to be able to stand upright. But what also happens, the reason the toes come together as a point is to keep your feet from sliding forward. Otherwise, when you walk, if you have a raised heel shoe, your toes will just slide forward. But when you smash them together, guess what? The little nail beds on the, I guess, the outside of the cuticle on each of your big toes and your small toes get smashed in, your toes grow in, all of a sudden you get hangnails. And it's super normal. But why would it be normal? Like all these things that happen, it's like the effect is that when we take our otherwise free-flowing and free-moving structures of our body and bind them into cast and then weaken them, we end up losing that capacity. And then we, you know, everything's affected. Running, jumping, walking, standing, feeling the ground, uh, being super ticklish. That's not a thing that happens if you're barefoot. Like the inability, if you're ticklish in your feet, hypersensitive or it's painful, is because you can't bifurcate the different sensations coming in from the nervous signals from the ground. And when it's overwhelming, it's like, oh my gosh, it feels really ticklish. And that's kind of like the spaz thing. Yeah. So like being touched more, being able to feel the ground more, I think those things really, really matter. And when we take out what would have normally, I think about these things sometimes, like the idea of inside versus outside. There are millions of years where our ancestors would not even understand the concept of inside. Like we are inside <laughs> right now. But just think about that. It's like, to have an inside, you have to have an outside. You have to take na in existence and split that in half and say, this is inside and this is outside. I remember this was, I did a mushroom trip a while back, and I remember I was walking around my house um, just observing things as you normally do. 
And I was like, I stood at the threshold for my glass door, which is so funny because we wouldn't have glass windows so we can look outside but yet not be out there. And I remember I was like, outside, inside. And I walked back and forth, outside, inside, outside, inside. It's just the concept of inside is so bizarre because like you'd have to explain that concept as like happy and sad. You have to have, for one thing to exist, you have to make the opposite. So the idea though is like we normalize these things of like wearing shoes. Well, if you can step outside of our current perception of the world and see like, okay, there was a time that these things didn't exist and we survived, then you can look and say, hmm, would I have been able to exist if my Achilles tore? Would I have been able to run if my toes were always hurting? Would I be able to move? Like, no. So then, okay, we were able to survive before this. And so now we should be able to figure out how to do this. So the question is what's changed and what is our perception changed in terms of like our surrounding environment that we no longer even just think about the possible solution? As a little bit of a rant, but it's just like the idea of just, we are so embroiled in this idea that we are feet are weak, they're incapable, and we don't have the capacity to use them or rely on them, that then we have to have an industry. We have uh, pills, shots, procedures, we have orthotics, we have pronation control shoes, we have special shoes, we have shoes for walking, shoes for hiking, shoes for running, shoes for running fast, shoes for running slow, shoes for running a long distance, shoes for running a short distance. Yeah, it's great, convenient for someone else to sell you that. But what if your foot, the one foot could do it all? No, 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 you can't have that. Your feet are weak. They need support. Yeah. But then also when that hurts you, you need to come get my shot to do my special th- therapy. You need to get my orthotic. It's like it's convenient, you know? Yeah, that's the interesting thing with the body. It's it's so versatile and adaptable. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that we're kind of, we like outsource that adaptation capacity to companies yeah. to sell us stuff so that you don't need to adapt. This inconvenience of needing to be able to kind of transform your architecture of your foot to be able to sprint or to be able to lift something heavy or to be able yeah. to, you know, whatever it may be, we'll just fill in those blanks. Now, suddenly your body doesn't actually need to fill in those blanks for you, which mm-hmm. then leads to you atrophying that capacity. And then yeah. eventually you become completely dependent on said products. Yeah. It's the same thing we do with, uh, you know, like hair products, Absolutely. same thing we do with any, like a lot of the body care stuff. You know, we put a bunch of like degreasing agents on our body and now suddenly the body's saying, oh my God, there's not enough oil. We need to produce more sebum and more oils to, in I order to find so. this you homeostasis. To your and you're like, oh my God, I'm such an oily mess. I need the product. Yes. It's very interesting how that works in, in so many different factors in our lives. It was a great quote. I forget who said it. it was the, uh, there's no money in sick people and dead people. Or there's, or, there's no money in healthy people and dead people. Mm. And it's always, we're talking about the idea of human optimization. It's like, okay, so there's, we can make people sick and then sell them stuff. And I get it. It's like, I don't want to go down the road of like the very trite anti-capitalist trope where people just say, it's all agreed. Like there are amazing things that have happened. I like my iPhone. I like the fact that there's air conditioning. I like flushing toilets. Pretty good. But, you know, within that, it's like there's a constant thing of like we need constant growth, compounding interest. Everything needs to get bigger and bigger all the time that leads people to say, hmm, I'm incentivized to create more problems because, you know, ah, someone could go buy this. And it's like it's good that ingenuity, even though nine times out of ten kind of makes a useless thing, that one time makes a really world-changing thing. That being said, the human optimization thing, it's like you look at something like Superfeet. It's like an insole that it's meant for performance. So you can say, oh, we got healthy feet, but look how much better you could do if you have Superfeet. And they put it in there. So then I guess that super feet is like a really springy, bouncy thing that allows you to move better. And the same thing with human optimization. We've got people who are otherwise healthy, happy, and living their best life. But if you have my supplement, you know how much better you'd feel? Yeah, sure. And it's like, but you got to try this, this special technique, this morning meditation, this thing. It's like, and some of it's great. It really works. But you get people who are otherwise, it's crazy that you are totally fine. People really don't like that. It's like when I tell them running shouldn't be challenging. They go, well, I don't know kind of i need it to be challenging so i can work off the sins of eating all that shit i ate last night <laughs> it's yeah. like 
you know, it is funny when you think about this stuff and say, okay, well, what if my body has everything it needs to be healthy and capable? I just have to give it a stimulus and then let it, let it do its thing. I think a little bit of it is coming from a culture where it's like, I think a lot of it has to do with like our relationship with our parents, relationship mm-hmm. with mother, relationship with father, like waiting for father to take care of us, waiting for mother to take care of us, waiting for, mm. you know, the government to take care of yes. us, waiting for the FDA to approve this waiting thing. Waiting for God to take care of you. Waiting for God yeah. to take, yep. it just keeps on moving up. And each one ultimately is probably a representation of mother and father, I'd, I'd imagine, since that's like the, our core relationship in the beginning. And at some point there is the opportunity to begin taking responsibility for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, 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 it's just, it's fascinating seeing those overlays when it comes to like foot health. <laughs> it is. Well, so <laughs> that, like it's the helplessness. I'll never forget this. I remember the first week I went to college and my mom was fantastic. She in many ways let me go out and get my bumps and scrapes and do this stuff. But there's some things that she, you know, it's like, it's, you want something done right, you do it yourself kind of thing. And so like doing the laundry and things like that, that was like, okay, I don't really know how to make eggs and do laundry. And so I go to college and I'm sitting there and my roommate's mom did our laundry the first week and the second week I had a chemistry assignment to do. And I was like, I don't know how to do my laundry. I'm freaking out. And then there's some uh, very sweet girl that helped me do it. And it was like, you know, it just, it was the example though of like, I, I am helpless. I don't know what to do, which in some senses makes sense because as kids, we are born helpless. So we you get everything through external validation. Did mommy approve this? Did dad say this is okay? Is this because we're looking, you know, there's a fear based thing of like, don't go to that road, don't do this. It's out of no's and don'ts and like permission sure. based uh, rating, raising, child rearing. So the question is not whether or not that's bad. It's the question of do we grow out of that? So we go from the child to the adult, which is the ability to take responsibility and take ownership of your life. Then it's to go back and realize like, okay, I want to restore that play and that fun and that vitality because, you know, you can enjoy life fully. fully. It's, uh, this is going to get a bit a bit like esoteric and metaphoric, but I think that there's an interesting connection with the way that uh, the composition and orientation of our body is in large part, I believe, a byproduct of the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that culture forms us and mm-hmm. such. That informs our future decision-making. It informs the amount of chances that we might take. It informs our inclination to maybe like, I feel like skipping. I feel like running. Mm-hmm. I feel like doing something out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And if you're living in a body that from a, a like a, at least a foot level, which you could maybe say is like the foundation mm-hmm. of the architecture of your body, is coming from a place of contraction and bunions mm-hmm. and, you know, just like, like it feels like it's like in a foot coffin. It's like cramped up in there. Yeah. There's no freedom in mm-hmm. the foundation of the body. I wonder how that informs the way a person engages with their life. Absolutely. Do you think that that's just some crazy new age? I've been. No, I don't think it's. And this is the way you go and you look at the stuff. So, like, and it's interesting because you can look at the semantics of what people will say. Like, protect your neck, right? Yeah. So, like, okay, don't stick your neck out. As a very example, so it's almost ubiquitous to people that sit there that are stressed, like they get stress in their neck. I, I carry my stress in my traps. I'm stiff and tight. So you could say, you know, well, you're holding all your energy in your, your third chakra or whatever the, the throat chakra is. Yeah. Like, and you can talk that way. You could say, well, think about it. When you get scared, what do you do? You hunch down because you don't know what's happening. Why do they say protect your neck? Well, because your neck is your cervical spinal cord that protects that, uh, gives life in terms of informational transmission from your brain to the rest of your body. So it's important. You break C5 or up, you're dead. So the other side of that is, okay, so don't stick your neck out. What does that mean? Don't, if I want to, if I'm confident, if I'm looking and if I feel safe, I'll look out and I'll look broadly. So you could think if I'm curious and interested about the world, I need to open and 
I dilate my vision to look and see, okay, what is out here? Who is, but I can't, I can't do that from a constricted position. So pain is a contracting force. Anything, it could be an obsession, it could be a passion, it could be just like a physical pain. It constricts you. It gets you focused and gets you down. Yep. The opposite of that is a dilation, which opens you up, breathing and expanding, but you have to feel safe to do that. It's parasympathetic, sympathetic in some sense. So I open up and I think I want to look and survey the distance. I have to look, but I have to feel safe and I'm not going to get choked, I'm not going to get shot, I'm not going to get hit because as humans, as bipedal animals, we are standing up exposing our most vulnerable part, our underbelly, our genitals, our neck, our throat to the world. So the idea of a don't stick your neck out is like, okay, I'll be safe. Well, what happens physically, anatomically when I hunch down? Well, I bring my traps up, I lock down my cervical spinal cord muscles, the 20 or so muscles around your neck, and I prepare for whatever. And I bring my eyes down and get focused, and I grip my teeth because I don't want to get hit in the face. I make it I clench my fist. So you don't even have to say, look, my energy is bound up. It's like you are literally stressed. And what do you say? I'm stressed because I don't feel like I have control. I'm working in a job where I have no freedom. I have no uh, creativity. I'm stuck at this thing doing it over and over again. I, if I'm doing sales, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make a commission or whatever it is. I'm uncertain. The uncertainty about this stuff, if I'm going on a hunt, I can't fail on this hunt because if I don't, no one's going to eat when I go home. That's yeah. scary. So I have to be focused. I have to be in this mode all day. And then the physiological changes, they are like, it's what you're saying. They're one of the same. The anatomical physiological experience is our external manifestation of the internal world we live in. So physically, I could just say, yeah, you're doing this all the time because you don't feel safe and you feel stressed. Yeah. Therefore, you hold this all the time. And if I'm making a fist and riding, my hands cramp up, you know what that feels like. So you can say it in the same exact thing, but the decisions we make, the confidence we have, the ability we have to say, okay, yeah, I can move my neck. I can engage my shoulders. I can step on the ground. For people who have worn shoes their whole life, one of the biggest things is like there's fear. I can't tell you how many times I'll put up a picture of me running. Well, what about the heroin needles and the dog poop and the glass? I love the, like, I love the heroin needle I, one. And That's I'm like, my favorite. I have this idea for a, a reel where I'm like, you know, a janitor walking out with like a box of heroin needles. Like, you know, like, hey, what are you doing with those? Like, oh, I got to throw them on the street. It's like, you know, like scattering them like you're throwing salt before an ice storm. And it's like, but it's a fear-based thing, which is I don't want to get hurt. And I've been told my whole life that, you know, be careful. And I've seen this stuff. And it's like kind of like driving a car. And you drive a car, yeah, there's a blown tire on the road, but I'm looking with my eyes. So we have different feedback things. But yeah. it is amazing to think about the fact that, like, when we have this narrative around our body isn't safe, if I do this, when I flex my feet, I'm flexing and engaging my calf. So if I make a fist, right, you can see the muscles of your forearm. If I move my fingers, the muscle bellies, obviously there are some intrinsic muscles of the hand, but the big muscle bellies that engage the forearm or the, the grip are in the forearm. So if I'm making a fist, that's locked down all the time. If I'm squeezing that together, holding one shape with my hand, then the muscles and tendons that feed into the elbow and forearm are taut and engaged the whole time. Same thing with the feet. I'm moving, and basically what happens is the bones that would otherwise have some play to be able to pull apart and then come together when I'm making in con contact, the fascial lines, which is you know the plantar fascia, the fascia is just connective tissue that wraps around your bones, your joints, your ligaments, tendons, etc. It is all one and the same, really. Very intelligent connective tissue. Oh, absolutely. It's innervated. It feels. It responds rapidly. It's like a very smart rubber band. Defending the just part. It's just connective tissue. Oh, yes. That, sound, that sounds like old school anatomy. Yeah, no. Ana oh, yeah, yeah. talk. So <laughs> cadaver science, of course. Yeah. Um, but it's not. It's it's a fancy, amazing tissue, which is the the, the real thing in the body. And, and we can come back and talk about why people aren't as familiar with that as they think they would be. Because if it's you hear like, oh, it's so important, why don't the doctors talk about it? But the point being is that like the fascial lines, the connective tissue that wraps around your feet are thirty years behind. Yeah, and also you can't study it. For one reason, it's hard to study in real life. Yeah. Those 
wrap around all your toes. And when I hold these positions, I no longer get hydration and stimulus to them to create a pliable, bendable surface. And when that isn't stiff, then the muscles up the fore, the ankle, and the lower leg that would otherwise get stimulus and move get taut and they hold on to tension. And then because I'm not moving, I turn into old grandma who's stiff and I can't. I become brittle. And so that brittleness goes up into my body. My knees start hurting. My back stops moving. Yep. Then all like, like the, the ability to move your sacrum and your hips and your femurs to dance, to, to have sex, to feel the body, to bend, to rotate, to twist, to breathe, to use your pelvic floor, to engage and you have bowel movements and, and control your sexual experience. Like all these things get locked down because they are one and the same with the body. So if I have fragile feet that don't move, I will have a fragile pelvic floor, fragile spine, fragile neck, shoulders, hands, everything gets stiff. And it starts, obviously it can work from the top down, but for most people, the simplest place is to say, hey, Let's take the fear away. Let's breathe. Let's just start and get your feet to move and feel the ground. And once you start to feel things, there's a whole line. Uh, there was um, Andrew Huberman did a podcast with Ido Portal not too long ago. And one of the things I really loved was he brought up the idea of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and why so many men are flocking to it. And this was true for me is a lot of men can take oh, it yeah. off the lap for mom really early. They don't get touched. I did not, like, especially growing up in a very purity culture with Christians, is like, you know, boys are blue, girls are pink, don't make purple. You know, you, you, know, you stop, like, it's a weird relationship with your parents. It's like all these things, you just stop getting physical touch. And so, like, my body as an entity needs touch. And so, like, the ability to be touched, even if it's a gruff, rough thing, it's like a lot of men are drawn to that. They wouldn't say it, but, it's like, the fun part is, like, I got touched by another person and got beat up. And it's like it confirms it's, that you're there. Exactly. It is like, in a sense, it's like the <laughs> art. Like, I'm really here. Well, Someone so grabbed me by the... That goes oh, to this beautiful idea. Here we are. I We're here together. I think about this idea of trust, right? So what does it mean? Like, think of the interest idea of like, you put your money in a bank, it's a trust. They call banks trust. And you trust, you develop trust as a physical being. So I can trust that this table, uh, this is how I start. This table is here. I can trust that my hands are here. I feel. This is our only thing we can prove is this now. I can trust my body. I can feel and engage with this. So that's why having neurological problems like a spinal cord injury or anything that changes your perceptive ability is so damaging to the trust because like I can't even trust my own body. I may fall and may lose my balance, but injuries are so debilitating for our internal experience because we no longer can trust the physical, the only thing we able had. So that's why starting that is starting with the body, getting dominion over your body, but you develop trust and you develop trust by this idea of, I, I think of love as the ability to see things clearly in a sense. So like to look and to see clearly around you, where am I? How did I get here? What are the circumstances that got in here? An injury, I have to see the injury and like what, it, you know, what was doing wrong? What was I doing? right how do I get to this point to love your past is to see the story of got you here and once you have that trust in yourself by loving and seeing clearly what is around your environment then you can look towards the future and have faith in what you can do and have this moving forward of like faith is future trust in what you will do in a future sitting but it's these are all my definitions I just made it all up there's uh I I have a a a theory that I mean I think it's just a a reality but the in, in relation to people that have a lot of fear resistance around maybe riding a motorcycle or yeah. even riding a bike or just doing anything that's Skateboard. conceivably, yeah. anything that's conceivably dangerous, dangerous, you know? And so by living excessively protected or insulated or, or safe now leads to almost guaranteed or at least increasing the probability of danger later. Yes, absolutely. So it's like, it's like matter. Like you can just redistribute and move the stuff around. You mm-hmm. can't destroy it. You can't create it. You're, experience of danger or risk in your life you can either front load it Mm -hmm. now in an educated responsible way with Mm -hmm. coaches and teachers and youtube videos and podcasts and say like okay i'm I'm gonna gonna get a little exposure here i'm gonna go in and then you start to build up this robusticity in your reaction of your nervous system and your connective tissue and just your relationship to the world and then when 
true objective peripheral danger manifests itself, your body has the operating system to say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. I got it. I'm going to you know, go into some weird matrix move that's just there because of years of exposure therapy. Yeah. Whereas if you, if an individual, and I think uh, America probably more inclined towards this than maybe like Europe, for example, and certainly like Africa or Asia, really probably anywhere else in the world, very insulated culture, very like, like, you know, a lot of litigation, a lot of kind of like walking on eggshells, make sure mm-hmm. everything's as safe as it can be. Self-censoring and all that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's like a sign beside a cliff edge saying cliff edge. It's like, like, you know, you go to most any other place on the planet. It's just like natural selection. If you walk off the cliff, it's just like, come on. And so so there can be a redistribution of this stuff. But I think there is great value in uh, responsibly engaging with danger. Uh, early on and that's you know that's exposure to rough and tumble play that's mm-hmm. exposure to riding a bike and a motorcycle and not that anybody needs a motorcycle i think it's actually very dangerous but i've also rode motorcycles my whole life i'm very grateful for those experiences but not condoning or not just engaging in something in a responsible way that causes your nervous system to show up and adapt mm-hmm. what much of culture would call dangerous i think is actually it's an amazing insurance policy for safety later on yeah. in life well, so building on that, building on that idea, I think that there's a um, if you can listen to the intuitive feel, like there are things that are dangerous just by the sheer uh, economics or, or I guess the statistics of like going skydiving. Okay, if I don't jump out of a plane, I can't risk falling to my death in that setting. Like I have to actively put myself there. But I think there's something that I've I've worked on developing is like when you feel that internal like oh, I'm a little nervous, but I have an opportunity to go like jump off of a, like, let's say you have a rope swing or like a, you know, a rock that's like 10 feet above a lake, something like that. And it's a known, like someone did it, like you've seen it. It's like, it's those kind of things. Like I want to be the, I like step into that scary thing or to talk in public or to, you know, dance or like ask the pretty girl out or whatever it is. Like those kind of things is like the thing you internally know when an opportunity you're turning away from because of fear. And it's like, and fear that isn't us like, because you, you can actively go and seek, like, yes, I'm going to go run across the highway just because, like, there's no reason to it. But, like, when you have an opportunity, I think... It's the responsible engagement part. Yeah, and I think that's one of those that, like, it's hard to have a, a broad... I don't know if it's possible to have a broad diagnosis to the opposite of, like, when you tell someone what to do. It's like doctors give you a... Um, mm. It's a prognosis. That's the progression. Diagnosis is the, di- like, telling what it is. It's like to give... a explanation of what it is like i can't tell you the step by step of this is exactly what it is but like you know it intuitively in a sense when like ah, you know i lied there i should have told the truth or like that's not the real truth that's not what really happened like those kind of things you know it and i think the, the ability to listen to yourself and say i don't want to do that i'm just scared and it's like yeah but should you be scared or is this an opportunity for growth and i think you know that so i think this is an interesting direction that's i think it's like quite meaningful for myself at least and probably a lot of a lot of, a lot of people in, in culture in general you said something very, I think, true in that when they when we have fear, resistance, you know, any of that stuff in our mind, in our consciousness, in our thoughts, perceptions, all that stuff, that will manifest as some type of contraction, resistance, mm-hmm. pulling away, shrinking up. Mm-hmm. Not a bad thing. It's just a protective mechanism. Yeah. If the the body is is structured to go through these oscillations of contraction and relaxation contraction and relaxation you know parasympathetic sympathetic like expansion contraction Mm -hmm. like that's brilliant it's so beautiful and healthy and it's the way that we circulate fluids if we get stuck in this contraction resistance state Mm -hmm. in any part of the body 
you know, so a muscle that's just continually hypertonic, you know, or maybe like a joint complex that's continually bound together, then you're not going to be able to regularly get new fluid distribution through that area. Mm -hmm. So now suddenly fluid isn't able to perforate that tissue. It becomes sick tissue. Yes. And now it becomes sick disassociated tissue. Mm -hmm. And now it's like we start to lose relationship with that, those muscles around or joints around our feet or maybe our pelvic floor or maybe our spine or our neck or whatever it is. Yeah. But one of the potential roots of that disconnection and contraction and tissue dehydration could be from actually like the experience of feeling unsafe. Yes. And it's your body attempting to protect itself. Mm-hmm. At one time, it was an incredibly supportive adaptive mechanism. Protect, contract, you know, hold down, hold yeah. it down. Yeah, yeah. It gets stuck in that place. Eventually, that body becomes sick. And so what is the process in starting to make the, you know, the human organism or any, or a dog, like any biological sentient mm-hmm. organism, begin to feel safe enough to be into being to be able to like reuptake new healthy fluids and redistribute, you know, yeah. the, the, the various different life giving fluids that like make a human human. Yeah. What's the process of a human feeling safe again? Well, so there's two two things there. One, I is, know that's like big, broad, all well, over no, the place thing, but like let's like, let's start from that place. Like, how do we feel? And I think a part of it is like, uh, sorry for interrupting you, but a part of it is like a person like is you can kind of tell a person's like walking on eggshells mm. kind of thing. Like they're not like, ugh, they're just their like, eyes are a little furtive. They're looking around. Their yeah, shoulders are a little tense. So yeah. it's the relationship of their feet to the ground. It's the relationship of you know the dilation of their pupils. It's the relationship of, of you know maybe they've they've got like their hair standing up. You got the pilo erection. They're just like. Ugh. Like they're coming out of their body in a way. Yeah. You know, it's just, I don't feel safe in this room. Yeah. So that's one, it's another thing uh, Ido Portal talked about, but the peripersonal space. Like if you go stand beside someone, like do they like kind of shrivel up and shrink up? It's like that, like your peripersonal space really is the things that you're cognizant of in, in your environment. It's like the person who is more confident in themselves can have more confidence. And like even the like big buff guys, it's like, that's why jujitsu is so interesting. You get someone that really knows how to handle themselves. They can get to a point where it's like, oh, like, you can be really close to me, and I know how to handle myself. And so the more confident I am, the more relaxed I am all the time. You see the guys that are really good at it, they just kind of saunter around. They're really relaxed, shoulders are down, because they know how to handle it. Yeah. But even someone that's like a, def- like you'd say, a private um, or like a defense contractor that's like on alert all the time, it's like, you know, deep-seated. They're like never relaxed, even though they're big and tough and scary. It's like, what does it look like to see that? So there's two things I think are interesting. I, I don't know what it was, but it was it was some culture that they think about as like if you burn your hand, you have to immediately burn it again and touch it. Like you close the circuit. Yeah, I heard that. I don't know if that's true or not, but the idea though is it like – It might be a, like folklore, but it's a great idea. The I, Whether or not the archetype of that exact story is true, it's the idea of like the only way past something is through it. So in order to go back, you have to – let's say I had something that made me scared about some aspect. And so I have to at some point – the the confidence and naivety I had, the bliss I had in some senses – you can think of the hero's journey. I am existing in this blissful narrative. I don't even know there's something to be afraid of, which is why you generally you get hurt in some sense. Or like just whatever things happen, I don't know. But it, this happens. And so now I go from a, like a, a fear. I'm uncertain. I'm uncertain. I don't know what's going on. I like, and there's a learning lesson where I get to the point where I go, oh, that happened. I want to stay as far away from that as possible. 
Well, the journey is to go back to that point through exposure and confidence of becoming a person that can handle it to the point that you can go back to that thing again. Yeah. So for me, with shoulder dislocations, it was a, you know, I, I just made, at first, it was like, I didn't know what was happening. I just got scared and got angry and resentful, whatever the phases of mourning after you go through an injury. And I got to the point of, like, I'm just not going to do any of that stuff again. But then I would. wasn't happy with the life I was living. I had all kinds of other little issues like nagging pains in the neck and the shoulder and the wrist and elbow. And it's like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So the process of getting back was slowly exposing myself to, okay, let me work on these things. And then it's funny because there's like a list of all the like 11 times I dislocated my shoulder. And it's like, let me tackle those one by one by like getting back to this. So the journey of getting back to now, it's me back with a healthy whole body. But at the beginning, I was blissfully ignorant and aware and just like I, I didn't know what was going on. And now I can completely know what's going on, but I can still maintain that level of health and happiness. So it's like this circuitous thing where I have to get the exposure to go back to that thing and develop confidence again. It's just an interesting part. Well, so I wonder in particular, because what I, my like kind of semi-excessively long rant about feeling safe, being like a cornerstone of, of resistance and contraction and tension in the body, for the sake of this conversation, I'd be interested in ways to start to kind of like unpack the feet. Yeah. Very, very simple, very straightforward. Yeah. So, like, what is a person, if a person has their feet with them right now, you know, which I do, I, I just took my shoes off, you know, I'm, like, doing a little, like, foot massage and such. Perfect. Like, what, how, can a, step one. How, can a, how can a person start to unpack the feet? So, unpack, there's a lot of, it's funny because the way you said that, literally unpack them first. What do you do when you pack something? You put it into a storage container. First, let's unpack your feet. Take them out of whatever they're in. You don't even have to stand on them. You don't even have to like put weight on them. But just simply hold your feet, touch them, and bring perceptive awareness. So to go back to the thing we talked about with babies at the beginning, one of the things that's interesting is I think, you know, we, we look at humans as though we grow out of this phase, and I don't know if we actually do, but babies are just very pure with it. Their eyes are open, and they're trying to figure out, can I eat it? It's like, in a sense, they're trying to know something. And so like they're reaching out, they're touching, and so like they see they'll touch your face touch a thing and they hold it and they feel it and then they put it in their mouth and bite it and it's like in a sense if you look at a very educated or a very uneducated like an original organism it's kind of like they have a central nervous system that responds to some type of stimuli and then they try to eat for food they're looking for food getting away from bad getting towards food and that's in a sense is what babies are and we develop ways to hide all that stuff but in a sense it's like they're putting it in their mouth and try to know it in a sense which is i don't know if this is true or not because i've heard that when you kiss people because you want to share your bio your microbiome with them to know that i'm in and safe but I also think it's not lo- it's not lost to me that when you're in a romantic relationship with someone, you kiss them. Why do we do that? Why do I need to put my mouth on you? It, not you, but uh, maybe. But you know, we'll see what you want later. But it is an interesting idea to think about. Like I'm going to put my mouth on you and then kiss you, but then also put my mouth all over you. And it's like a weird thing of like that doesn't reproduce. We don't make babies like that. But there is something of like, but you only do that with someone that you're vulnerable with in a sense. And it's like. I almost wonder, it's a way of knowing someone by like ingesting them in a sense. It's we like, do the same thing when we shake hands. We'll put our, f- our hands yeah, to our face yeah, shortly yeah. after that. I, I, I heard like eyes, 85% our... of people make contact, like touch there's some type of thing. It's like there's a way of knowing that we do. It's, it's fascinating. So The olfactory system, I think, is like the ocean in okay. a lot of ways. Like, like the ocean is like this massive entity on Super. Earth that is just like this dark you know, nebulous space that it's just like, uh, I don't know what's in there. <laughs> like, it's too yeah. big to figure out. Yeah. You know, like the way that we detect information from each other through our, you know, all of our senses, mm-hmm. but like the the olfactory one in particular, because it's like fairly invisible. Yeah. 
I suspect there's much more to that. But you could like you look at like the T-shirt. You're familiar with like the T-shirt study where they had so essentially what the, what that is like the hopefully the shortest way to describe impossible. They had there's been a few T-shirt studies. I'll describe both because I think you'll enjoy both of them. The one was exercise and it was around sexual arousal. And so they had two different groups of people and they gave them a, a white T-shirt. They said go work out in this. And then it was kind of like a dating thing. Uh-huh guys and girls and then they had like kind of a dating swap thing swapping t-shirts you know exchanging and what they found was that the people that would be the most attracted to the the scent of each other's sweat would be that there was some bio compatible or immuno compatibility yeah yeah so there's some aspect of my immune system that i have a deficit that you actually fulfill i would love to hit that which is pretty interesting. I would love to procreate and and make a, a richer, stronger, ro- perpetuate a richer, stronger, more yeah, that's so. More I think about species. that a lot. Like the there's the, another t-shirt study that I'll say again at some point. No, go, go, uh, go. But there's another like one that I think you'll like this, as well. Like really thought of like the person you're attracted to physically, not necessarily like long term compatibility, but like the people that you attend to that you're attracted to have some level of a physical exchange that your body knows. Like we would make good babies. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying all the time. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, th- that's different than having a would be compatible long term health happy relationship. But it's like there's something about like the people you were attracted to. Like it's probably that same thing. You don't even know why you're attracted to them. Maybe it's the smell. Maybe it's all these things. But it's, it's a like lot of things. Your body knows like we'd make good babies. Yeah. The other one that's that's interesting was in relation. I just had Vanessa Edwards on my podcast. So she's like big in the body language mm-hmm. space. It was the episode from last week, which you know that won't be last week when this goes out. And one of the the ones that she had referenced in that conversation was around uh, fear. Mm. And so they had two different groups again one group was wearing i believe it was a white shirt and they got sweaty from doing something that was anxiety inducing so they okay. all went skydiving i believe and so then they collected these shirts post skydiving and then the had another group just exercise sweat just okay. like natural perspiration well it's all natural i guess but from exercise exercise induced and then what they found was that by exposing subjects people to these different types of shirts, the people that were exposed to the fear shirt, it would actually catalyze a fear response. So like their amygdala and cortisol and norepinephrine and all the things that cause you to kind of be like a little bit more ready were actually catalyzed from the scent of sweat induced from stress. Oh, wow. And so when you're coming into, you know, walking into a room, the first thing that I do, and I think now that I'm saying this and people start to pay attention to it, my guess is probably, I might just total like non-scientific guess is that most people would confirm this. When you walk into the room, the first thing that you do is you take a breath through your nose. Open the door. Okay. Just notice it. Okay. I, I could be, it could, I just could be crazy, but and I could be the only one on the planet does this, but pay attention to this. It's the first detection device. Well, sight's the first detection. Touch is the first detection, maybe. Sight to touch, to smell, to, you know, the yeah. rest of the sounds, obviously. Always, but it's this, it's, I mean, it's really beautiful. The orchestra uh-huh. of information that we're being bombarded by all the fucking time. And then we're processing all of that simultaneously based off of past filters and past history to come into like now. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I remember this was another, another trip I had where I was walking around and just thinking like all of these things that we have, like our brain in some sense is a blessing and a curse because it like it is the thing we're trapped in in some capacity. But like there's so much information, so much. 
it's just, if you if you truly were aware of the amount of things your brain was processing right now, we'd get nothing done. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but so well, go back to the, the point of that is part of that is the touch, right? So you t- you unpack your feet, take your pair of shoes, and you just feel them. So the idea with the babies is that they go and they touch things because they're a way of learning and engaging with the world around them. So the value of that is to say, okay, if you can, you don't know how to move your feet, like use your hands to press in, feel your feet, pull your toes apart, unpack your feet, literally, but use your hands as the appropriate step to feedback. Like if I see a table or something and I say, I don't know what that feels like, I use my hands to get information. And because I'm there, like that's rough, that's smooth, this is jagged. I can now learn the environment. So I can learn my body again. We were very disconnected from our body because we're, you know, we, we fall in the pattern of being eyes that float on top of like a meat suit, but it's like we are our body. And so understanding that happens through touch first. Then you start to think, okay, let me get the toes to uh, differentiate. So that's where the, the foot hand glove is a very simple thing. You take your fingers and you press them in between your toes, and you can kind of manually pull them apart and get some circles. This is where the idea of a toe spacer comes into play. It's kind of become popular. I'm actually not that convinced that toe spacers do anything that much different than orthotics do, which is promised an aesthetic outcome as opposed to looking at function. I'm not saying they don't work, uh, but I'm saying people rely on them as a passive thing. Oh, they'll fix my toes. Maybe. I've done everything I've done without toe spacers, but I would say like getting your fingers in between your toes and actively moving them and actively feeling that, I think there's so much more value for the proprioceptive feedback. If you're starting off and you've never been able to do this, but you've never done this before, you may only be able to get one finger in between the toes at a time, or you may need to use some baby lotion or some oil to be able to kind of lubricate in there. But unpacking those toes and allowing nerves not from Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, we don't like Johnson & Johnson. I think they've got a bunch. Of, didn't they just get like a multi like many, many millions or some ridiculous, yeah. insane number of if lawsuits. If you're listening to this podcast, like, you should be getting some crunchy, you know, almond shea butter uh, some stuff. Some cancer-causing I'm agents sure. in their baby powder. You ever put baby powder in your balls? You big baby powder ball I guy? have done that before, and it's amazing. Not the move. Not the move, though. Since the lawsuit. Oh, since the lawsuit. J&J. And I'm sure the Align Method has your uh, prescribed yeah, we don't baby su- powder. We don't support J&J and the Align we Method. We don't support it's, it's a It's a brand uh, persona non grata. Well, whatever, you uh, know. But you start there, and then you can start to think about, okay, so now let me stand up and walk. And so one of the biggest things you can start to do is pay attention to the way that you move. Meaning, if you can stand with your feet forward or turn slightly inward and just pay attention when you stand and you walk, if you can do that, that creates a slight shift. Walking should prepare you for running, which should prepare you for sprinting. It's, it's one spectrum of the same movement. And when we walk, when we overstride and slam our heels on the ground because we're wearing shoes that let us get away with that, that throws us off. So simply being barefoot on a safe surface, whether it's carpet, whether it's inside, whether it's a turf field or something you feel confident like grass, that you, there's not holes or whatever. It, it depends on how quickly you jump into that. It depends on your capacity to like trust your body. But you'll get there. You do need to have a gradation of continuing to get to less safe surfaces. But the point is you're getting feedback. You're getting nervous signals back to your feet. You're getting your uh, stimuli back to your body. So you're starting to feel things. So you're moving the toes. You're walking. You're standing with your feet forward. You're feeling the ground again. Then you can start to look at the, uh, the big thing that matters is the big toe. So there's something called a big toe thumbs up. So it's the same thing as a hand where you flex the four fingers and you extend the thumb. You flex the four toes and you extend the the thumb. The thumb. That allows you to create different, you bifurcate the thumb and the rest of the digits and you create space between the big toe and the rest of the toes. The big toe is really one that matters. So as part of that, you go, you can take one hand, you fold the four toes down to flexion, and you take the other hand, you pull the big toe apart, and you can start to work there. And then as over time, you can let go of the hand and allow that, just hold that position mm. and get to that point so you can give a thumbs up with your big toe. That's Jedi. Yeah, that's a foundational shape, though. Like, imagine what you couldn't do if you didn't have this. And not saying you can't say you're okay. You really couldn't say, that's good. Yeah. It's ironic. Like, if I do this, it means I have capacity. It's ironic. What do you Like, this is good. I have capacity over my hand. I can move my fingers like they're supposed to, and I can use my thumb like it's supposed to. So I'm good. But if I couldn't do this, I'd be like, ah, uh, 
like a fist is like, I'm not like the, not okay. I'm okay. Like it's just it's fascinating when you think about shapes and what they mean, the yeah. physical nonverbal communication. But you go there, big toe thumbs up, and then you start to work on like that's where you're starting to pull. So the way your big toe is aligned, that there's a line for the big toe that goes through your plantar fascia into your Achilles tendon, through your calves, hamstrings, glute. That big toe is the big fear for that. That's the big thing. So getting that big toe to move and creating some play there. Would you there, call it big fear? The big feeder. A oh, big feeder. F e e d e r. Like yeah. in a sense, it's a it's a broad word. I don't know if it encapsulates what I'm trying to get at, but yeah. in a sense, the input and capacity of what it's able to balance and engage with is what feeds a tension. I was thinking about this today. Uh, is if you think about power lines or telephone lines, how there's like you know the pole and the line in between. The way the fascial system works in the body is that it's all connected. It's a tensegrity structure, which means that when one place gets stiff, the other place gets stiff. When the whole body gets stiff, when one place loosens, the whole body loosens in some capacity. So while there's, you know, it's kind of hard to visualize a structure like that uh, conceptually, it works well from the example of like you look at the telephone lines. When one of those falls down, it pulls tension on the rest of the system. The whole thing gets tight and it, it creates a problem on the rest of the telephone lines. So the big toe is that first part. And if that can't move and engage, it creates a tension that feeds up through the plantar fascia to the Achilles and then creates problems there. The hamstrings, the glutes, the low back, the neck, all through the posterior chain. So getting that big toe to move and starting to load that in extension, doing things like lunges with your shoes off, letting those toes spread, uh, split squats, any type of half knee plantar fascia stuff, like just getting some load to that, but it takes time. That's where the first step is to start with that big toe thumbs up. And then the last piece is just getting some of the tissue on the front of the foot to engage with those two pieces. But thinking like tip raises are good, but tip turns where you're rotating the foot and then stretching at the top of that ankle and like pushing that forward, getting the, the tissue on the back, the dorsal side of the foot to move and get blood flow and lengthen. That's a piece. And then getting the arch to pronate and getting some of the ankle to turn. These are things you would look at as you go up the body, but to break all that down, take your shoes off, feel your feet, walk without your shoes, get the toes to spread apart and restore the big toe function. That's, that's it. That's everything. And mm -hmm. it really, that's like, there's no special method. There's no fancy thing. Like I've got a program that walks people through a little more detail and support on it. But the whole goal is like your body should be prepackaged, ready-made to be healthy and successful. Like there may be a few things you need to want to put into place while you're trying to do that. But broadly speaking, it's like, it's not a secret. It's no hidden thing with your body. It's like, yeah, you, it's just, you know, you're hungry, you need to eat. Yeah. Just eat real food. I'm going to take a moment and share a quick bedside routine that I've been utilizing, which also relates to a question I have for you. And listen carefully to the end, as this is a special offer, which includes free gifts. If I ask you, what is the number one health problem people from all over the world are facing? What would you think that is? If you guessed sleep, you'd be absolutely right. Honestly, the majority of people are lacking energy throughout the day but a lack of energy is a symptom of a bigger problem that is very difficult to gain control over and that problem is sleep something i've been utilizing that i've been absolutely loving for sleep is magnesium specifically mag breakthrough what i love about this stuff is it contains all seven essential forms of magnesium i sometimes can be a little bit resistant to eating too much supplements but magnesium is one of those ones that it is just not in our modern day soil so i do highly recommend getting yourself some magnesium i've been taking it every day for quite a long time and also 
Mag Breakthrough is including free bottles of other goodness. Full line of digestive health products, including their powerful digestive enzymes, masszymes, their patented probiotic P3OM, and their HCL product to alleviate heartburn and acid reflux. That means you're getting free products to try that will support your digestive system so you experience less bloating and gas throughout the day. And you also are going to have an optimized night's sleep. All you got to do is go to magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast. You'll get 10% off of your magnesium and the first thousand customers will also be getting themselves a bottle of Massozymes P3OM and HCL. It is a ridiculous deal. It will absolutely improve your life and it's a hundred percent money back guarantee. It's a no brainer magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast. We had a break. We're now recording the podcast again. Please keep going because this is great. Okay. So, so for folks, for folks listening, we're we're back in. We had a little a little technical difficulty. I I, I peed. We're not going to talk about that again. And yes. filled up a bag of vaporized uh, herbs and such. Not marijuana. It's like literally tobacco and herbs. Yeah, he and said things. it's weed. I don't know, and but <laughs> not marijuana. I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't heard it. It's weird. Whatever. <laughs> and now we are uh, we are, are are back in it. All right. Uh, money. All right. So most people don't talk about it, but I'm always, I'm fascinated. <laughs> so <laughs> I look at money. Strong, strong transition, hard transition into money well, from foot health straight to money. Well, I mean, we, do people's like, necks are all very sore right now. They're like, dear God, what has happened? Sorry. So you look at the conversation. Okay. So like people spend a fuck ton of money on shoes and orthotics and all this stuff, but I look at people and I'm always interested. So I, you know, I've gotten some level of success with uh, with coaching what I'm doing. So like you get some money and like you realize that there's this level of freedom that happens when you can say no to things. So like money is stored energy and it matters. People are like, oh, money doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, well, you need a place to stay, you need some food to eat, you need water, it's whatever. It's like money is your ability to say no to things. And so it's like if you don't have people that work, and there's nothing against that, but people who can't say no to things work the overnight shift at like McDonald's in a sense. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like the ability, I remember it's, Jordan Peterson said this, it's like freedom was not necessarily the, people think of freedom as the ability to choose what job you have as a, and they don't realize that freedom is the ability to choose whether or not you have a job. So I look at you as someone, you know, you have your own schedule, you set your own life, and it's something I'm kind of exploring myself, but there's a freedom in the sense of like, I get to pursue the things that are meaningful to me. And there's the idea of like, I get to pursue the things that are otherwise I'm an amateur at just for the sake of loving it. And then you find- Amateur is such a beautiful word. I love Amor. it. For the, yeah, love. To, from the love of. It's fucking great, man. The best stay, in, in, stay an amateur. I know. Well, the best things in life are created by amateurs. But I just, I look at it, I'm like, okay, well, how much money do you make in order to feel like, yes, I'm not, and or is it a, maybe I've got it backwards. Maybe it's a framing a decision of like, I have faith in my capacity in the future in such a way that I don't need to worry about that. Like you either are someone who's just going to worry about stuff and you have enough to get by for today and it's totally fine. Or you've making a lot of money that you've con- calculated and you're able to say, I'm very relaxed. I've got it. I'm good to go. Like a, you know, I've made a million dollars this year, so I don't need to. Like, you reach the past where more money will not improve your life at any capacity. So I'm always just interested in like, how much money people make, not as a comparison method of saying, oh, are, am I, are they doing better or worse than me? But it's just interesting to learn people because some people need $10 million a year to feel like they could live their life. And some people need $1,000, $10,000. And it's like, but ultimately, I think what we seek and what it go towards is the idea of like, I'm relaxed. I'm, yeah, I'm happy. I'm You're free. I'm safe. You're unpacking your feet. I'm, yes, I'm unpacking my body in the sense of like my feet, I'm okay. I, I can kick my shoes off. It's like, true. It's real. So it's, that's the whole psychosomatic relationship. So then this is, I was going to ask how much money you make, but I don't know if this is a podcast conversation. This is the, the place. Is, 
we can talk about it later, but I'm just I'm always interested because it's for whatever reason it is interesting that that's such a um, not a taboo, but it's like oh that's not a question you ask someone. It's like mm. why well, I'm just fascinated. It's not like I'm trying to be better than you or less. It's like it's interesting because it is. I think the amount of the way someone acts in relation to how much money they make tells you a lot about their ability to to cultivate safety in their life internally. Money is one of the forms of, it's just an energetic exchange that represents you did some things. Yeah. And so if you can manage the things that you do and distribute that into creating safety and creating nutrition and creating experiences and you have a a healthy circulation of that, then you live in a healthy circulated financial body. Yeah. And that financial body stems into like literally material your material existence. Yeah. But also a felt sensation. Mm. Yes, that. Which translates into a level of tonicity of your connective tissue. Yes. So in this so like for me, I you know, I was making Does that was, seem like a jump at all or is that does that is that like No, that's literally it makes so so much sense in the sense of like you can there's David Dida talks about this, um, and there's people talk about breathing, but it's like it, it, from a masculine perspective because that's what I, you know, identify as a man. Yeah. Still, I'm reading his um, books, I think Sacred Communion right now. Oh, interesting. I've only done that way of the Spirit Man, but where he talks about like this, you breathe and relax as though you're melting into the the body of a, a front of a woman. It's like you just feel like your body melt and relax, and it's like very sensual, erotic, not intimate, I should say. Sense is like okay to just let go of this energetic block you have, and so like the energetic block would simply be like you're holding your breath and you're clenched down. Yeah. versus just like relax and just feel good like sink into the chair feel the feel your body just feeling safe and i think that goes into like if i don't feel safe and even people this is what's amazing like i've had clients that make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year and they're walking around as they're like the world runs rugs about to get it pulled out from under them at any given time it's like what's the how much money do you need to make in order to get that felt sense that would change your essence yeah and i don't i don't know what that is because i think for some people it's just more. And you can. Uh, there's a great, I forgot, you can never get enough of what you don't really need. And it's like, yep. you've gotten past the point of what you need, and so you can never get more. More is never going to help you. I just, because I know, like, for me, just, like, broadly putting numbers, is, like, when I was first starting off, just, I got out of college, I was waiting tables and working at the gym, because, like, I know I want to do this thing, but I am just working part-time coaching some kid classes, and I'm waiting for dad to come take care of me, in a sense, give me a job, pay me money. So I was waiting tables. You know, you make, like, Two thirty thousand dollars a month, and it's like okay, you, like it's not bad. Like I could afford rent and stuff like that, but it's like there's definitely a sense of like okay, this is not going to give me the life I want. But it also like I don't have a lot of, I can't say no to things. I can't say no to another shift at the restaurant, or I can't say no to like another client. In a sense, it's like I yes, I have to say yes to everything. And so then you know you kind of I work, I get better as a coach, trainer, so I to get more clients. I could say no to stuff. You make ten thousand dollars a month. It's like okay, you know like roughly eight to ten thousand open a gym and that affords me the ability to say no to things. Okay. So now I can say, no, I don't want to get up and work at five o'clock morning clients. Cause I don't like being up in the morning and I don't want to see you in the morning either. You're a great person, but I don't want to see you in the morning. And so then like, as I made more money and was smart because I didn't grow into that money, I stayed living at the like $2,000 a month lifestyle, which is like, you don't have to be mean. Like I'm just very minimalist. So like the idea of I'm moving across country right now. So like selling everything I don't need, packing into my car, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't go is I love it. It makes me feel very free. But without growing into that, I used that extra income to afford myself to say no, to build my future. So I could spend time in the morning working for myself and building something and spending years doing that stuff, which eventually got success. And so going from like $10,000 a month to like having some success with this thing I spent years writing and building and thinking and making, then it was like, okay, you're making twenty or 30000 It's like, 
there's a point where I feel like I crescendoed. Of course, I can't afford a yacht and I don't have a boat and I don't have a lake house and I don't have, you know, a mansion and I don't have a Tesla. It's like, and some of those, like, there, yes, you'll get a new when my car breaks down, but that Honda Accord is doing great. I love it. I, at some point, you grow in, like, yeah, I'd, I'd get a new car and there's something to be said for a nicer thing. Like, the best, the Coco Chanel, the best things in life for free, the second best are really expensive. Like, their quality and having good good sound set up, having people around you. But for me, I realized like the quality is being able to say, hey, can you help me with this job? Can I create a job for you and give you this money in a way that allows me to have my freedom back? So it's just constantly doing that. But I've noticed that there's a sincere shift in the way I feel about myself, the way I hold myself, the way I feel about myself as a man, as a provider, because that's how I think about things. I know it's backwards. <laughs> it still matters to me. Damn it. It's still real to me. But the point is like I could feel a shift in my tonality and the way I talk to women, the way I just integrated the way I could say no to things like yeah I'm just no I'm not interested it's like I felt safe doing that and it was almost entirely proportionate to the amount of money I was making and I know that at some level to a certain point that's because I was able to have trust the money I was making was reflected that I had value I was producing for the world I was helping people people found value in what I was doing that I had a meaning that I was able I was connected to something bigger so the money was just a metric that showed that but I was like oh it really does like change that. And so then I was able to start taking more risks. Like, okay, when I can afford, I'm going to try jujitsu because that was always another insecurity for me. That was a big thing. I don't know how to fight. There was this girl, super sweetheart, she's like 22. She did like one or two wrestling classes and she weighs like 70 pounds less than me. We're at the gym. She's like going to wrestle. And within 20 seconds, she flipped me on my back and had me pinned. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And this girl weighs 70 pounds less than me and is like a foot shorter than me. I'm like, that's awesome. It also very emasculating for me in the moment. I was like, not, I don't give a, f- I, I could care. There's a lot was of women. It, was it like hot in a weird way at all or not at all? Uh, it was, uh, it was very warm tra- in the gym. kind of attractive. In a sense, but like when women get to that like aggressive thing, it's like their bodies cease to become like an a, a attractive thing. Mm. I, yeah, there could be, but I was so like in my, I was like, I don't know what's happening. And I was like clenched up. I was like, this is weird. And I don't know what to do. And I don't want to get hurt. But as I started to like increase that capacity to feel safe in the world, I was like, let me try jujitsu. And now I'm getting thrown around by grown men that are much bigger than me and it's still just as emasculating but i'm choosing it so it's better i'm trying different things and traveling be able to like sell the house or move and just pack up my car and like it's going to work out because i have confidence in myself and using money as that metric i'm like okay i would want to encourage people and empower people to take their health back and then figure out a way to increase their capacity to bring in energy which is bring in money so they can say no to other things and create the life they want doesn't mean you have to have a mansion but it means you can say no to i hate that i do not want to work the 12 a.m shift at mcdonald's anymore that's power that's freedom so then i look and say you know it means something to me to make more money that was like the biggest it it was a big shift and so i look at other people and i'm like they it's it's a mimetic desire by renee gerard it's like we don't want to we don't want things we want to be things it's like i i want to be you more so, like, and this is just an example. Like, people love Joe Rogan, for example. They want to be Joe Rogan. They don't. They want to buy his stuff. They want to have his thing. They want to have his sponsors on the podcast. Like, that's the whole idea of like influencing is people want to be that. But they don't really want to cut him open and be a skin suit of Joe Rogan. They want to be the thing that they think he has, which is confident, a leader, like free. He can say what he wants. He's uncancelable. Whatever it is, that's what they want because they feel insecure. And so we are attracted to the people who have the things that we perceive that we lack. And so I want to, I want, I want to be you. So that's why, like, I what clothes do you wear? What things do you wear? like? How do I act like you? How do I shave my head and be like you? It's like that's what it is, and it's so fascinating to think about. But I look at that, I'm like, so when I see someone that I admire, look up to, a lot of what I see is they have something that provides meaning in their life that's challenging, that uses their body. They have the ability to do things that are hard and difficult and find purpose and join that. And they're able to say, no, they have power and autonomy in their life. And so those are things I'm like, okay, what do they all have in common? And it's like, I'm interested to learn what are the things they have in common. A lot of that is how much money do you make? So I want to go up and say, what do you do? How much money do you make? And like, 
what are your expenses? Like how much sex do you have with your, your partner? How much money do you bring in? How much do you spend? What do you like? And it's not like a comparison thing. It's just a curiosity thing to say, where are the commonalities? And like, cause I look at it and think, and this is just, I'm going to continue to ramble. But <laughs> the idea is like, I look at people, there's some people who isolate themselves and think, no one has ever experienced this thing. Like I went through a breakup. It was the worst breakup ever. Or I'm the only one that's ever been, you know, broke or bankrupt. I'm the only one that ever broke my arm. And that's where they get depressed or they're anxious because no one else could understand this. It's only me. Or there's people I'm on this side, which is if I feel this, I'm totally normal. I'm totally average. No, like if I can do this, anybody can do this, which is why I like constantly I'm like, I, it's funny because I have some level of followers and success. I'm like, yeah, but anybody can do this because if I can do it, like I'm not special. And at some point it like, I guess it does, it gets trite because people are like, yeah, yeah, whatever you're saying. But it's like, to me, I'm like, if I can do this and understand these things, what are the commonalities? And like, anybody can do it. But like, if anybody could do it, then I could do it. Mm-hmm. So I flip it around that way. It's like that, uh, what one man could do, so can another. Um, a movie from whatever the matter is a quote i was like what one man can do so can another but the idea though is that like i didn't want to go and ask people the real awkward like personal questions of like you know how long are you dating how old are you where have you been what you and it's like it's you, I, just funny to me that you can't talk about that stuff because i think most people that are confident in that will answer this question but yeah I do this and this and like just they're not worried about it but the people who won't it's almost like you could live on debt you could get a credit card you could live way beyond your means you could buy a house and you know and like have an empty mansion and a lot of people have empty mansions and it's like they don't want to expose that. But that to me is like a false thing. I'm like, I want to just live genuinely, which is the whole barefoot idea for me. It's much less like, yes, it's about the feet and health, but it's like everything I do, I take my shirt off and my shoes off. Not because I'm trying to show off anything, although I like take care of my, I have orthorexic and uh, obsessive enough to try and look good and have abs because, you know, deep internal hate. But the, the part of it is really like, hate? no, it's just a, a very hard internal driver of like, is there deep internal like unacceptance or is there any truth truth there because i think it's very very common i'm sure not my joke is that like if i see anybody that looks really good on social media it's like they got some internal demons like there's a part where i have like a lot of struggle like should i eat this and i eat this is bad it's the old religious part of me that wants to have a right and a wrong and if i'm in the wrong i'm gonna go to hell and it's a very you take that say if i eat the wrong food i'm gonna punish myself and so there's very puritan there's a lot of that that i instilled in myself very harshly and that my experience in a very Southern Methodist Baptist church didn't help kind of create nuance and texture to see outside of that. But as I break that perceptual lens, that rigidity, I start to see things more and more of like, oh, that's interesting. You do drugs and you haven't died. Huh. Okay. And it just try those things. But ultimately it's just like finding these pieces and so asking these questions and saying, huh, you know, like I just like to have vulnerable conversations, but that makes mm-hmm. me happy. And, you know, it makes you more connected to people. Yeah. I, I think the reality of, many people is they many people think they're flailing in a lot of different sectors of their mm. life you know and, and most things it's just like a like a comparison yeah. game yeah, yeah. and so it's not really about how much money a person makes it really truly is how much money a person makes in comparison to those that they're exposed to around them mm-hmm. which is what makes the internet so dangerous Ooh, because yeah. now you're exposed to you know the the, the top one percent of like everything that's happening not just in your school Mm -hmm. or in your workplace or in your like town or whatever it's 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 everyone on the planet Mm -hmm. and so now it becomes this perpetual you know like hedonic treadmill kind of thing where it's just like it's impossible to match that comparison if you're comparing yourself to every other person on the planet Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be this perpetual sensation of not enoughness yeah. in some sector of, of many people's lives. And, you know, that I think, again, comes back to the whole psychosomatic relationship to the way that we 
perceive ourselves, like to come to a point of really coming into actual acceptance of, of one's self, mm-hmm. like actually coming into a place of like, I, I love that person that is successful on yeah. social media, you know, or I love that person that is, you know, expressing any kind of act or emotion or, you know, whatever I, I it may expressing be. Expressing something real. Yeah. Or, or not. Everything is real. Okay. So if a person is expressing something that's that's that's, that's fake in quotations, what they are authentically expressing is a guise around some type of insecurity behind that. Mm-hmm. So there's availability to have compassion and and like love, which is kind of can be a fluffy word in many ways for some people. But you know whatever compassion. Is well, I like a love is that like to see things clearly. It's like if you can see, like to have yeah. love is like I see you. Yeah. And I'm not judging you, I just, I just see you. And when someone is expressing, which I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I still have noticed this with myself in, in all sorts of situations, but some type of like maybe facade or some type of, you know, f- like fronting or, you know, name dropping or some, you know, whatever kind of thing saying like, I'm like, uh, just so you know, I'm enough, you know, <laughs> I'm going to kind of let you know I'm enough. You know, and, and so when you are around a person, if you're looking at like reading like David Data's stuff, like the way a superior man, yeah. you know, type concepts or, you know, just working one's way up there, like the ladder of consciousness, I mm-hmm. guess, the ladder of feeling like coming into a place where really feeling like, no, I really am in love with life. Like I'm in love with my work. I'm in love with the, the people around me. Yeah. I'm in love with the food that I'm eating. Yeah. I'm having this sensual experience. Like, yes. Oh, I get to eat. Oh, I get to have this conversation. Yeah. Oh, I get to breathe. Like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is an attainable, uh, well, attain might not be the right term for it, but that's, a, that available. is, that is, that is a, a location that is available to any person at any time. You know, it's just, we, the, the board or the, the cards or the deck is is kind of like set not in a, a, a weaker mind's favor for that presently because we have so much exposure to comparison. Mm-hmm. So to be able to unwind that and come back into a place of like, if I see someone dramatically more financially successful than me or more buff or more flexible or more hotter girlfriend or like whatever the thing is, having compassion for that and then on the other side having compassion for the person that did something like wrong to me yeah. or wrong to someone else yeah. and seeing that actually that wrongdoing likely is coming from a place of that person got hurt at some point yeah. and now they're going into this protective adaptive mechanism and they're coming a shell and they're getting you know they're getting out their weapons and they're you know maybe cussing somebody out in the street or maybe they're using drugs or you know to kind of like get out like like escapism and so it's like oh no like it's possible to have love for that person as well Mm -hmm. and i think that within that this comes back again to the relationship with a person's body the body is a a a beautiful uh, doorway into opening up a more rich life in, in like every other channel yeah. So it's but but all, as does as is every other channel. So you can engage with your career and your business mm-hmm. and like the team that you work with. That's essentially like a like a fractal or it's like a it's like another relationship or allegory to your relationship to your body or mm-hmm. it could be. Yeah. Your relationship to the food you 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 put into your body, you know, that when you're cooking it, when you're preparing it. That's a lot like probably the way your relationship with your physical connective tissue. Yeah. 
you know, maybe you got a dry brush and you like, you know, scrub your back and your skin. And, you know, before you get into the shower, maybe you put some, get a sense some essential oils. Maybe you elect to get massages. That's like massaging the kale before you put it into the salad. I don't eat salads, but well, yeah. whatever. That's you know, massaging the meat. No, You're it's massaging funny like, like as you say that stuff. I, but I don't do any. I don't do any of that. I just like throw the ground beef on the thing and throw the steak in the thing, and it's like then I come back, I go take a shower, that's and come back. Too. But I'm just saying, it's like that's actually how I. There's a, there's an interesting. I, everything you're saying is very true. I'm just thinking about the way I apply that. I'm like. Sometimes doing the thing that we that we is the hardest problem is not the solution. Hmm. Sometimes the solution. This comes from kind of like maybe if, I don't know. I, I get this from like manual therapy, body work, physical therapy, like mm-hmm. working with somebody's some type of you know issue, or joint pain, or some tension somewhere in their body. Sometimes you can just feel it. You're like, ooh, like this is not the time to work on the neck. Yeah. Like it's it's locked down. But me just like massaging and it's just going to be like more like irritation to that area. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the move is to work upstream and downstream mm-hmm. and kind of like away from the central problem. And so sometimes I think with like healing quotations, the body or maybe like unpacking the feet or whatever, work on the feet, but also maybe work on your relationship with your girlfriend, work on your relationship in your business, work mm-hmm. on your relationship to like to uh, your home, the feng shui of your house. So this is something to think about because the question is like, it's very easy to go down that line. I, it's everything you said I love. It's very easy to go down the line of like, oh, I work on these things and people get overwhelmed. It's like, where do I start? Because if you feel like your life is not in order, then like, where do I start? Yeah. I think of this idea of feedback. It's like, okay, what's feedback? Could be pain, could be like anything that contraction focuses you. It's like, you know, okay, well, what what is my body giving me feedback on? All right, well, my foot hurts and that's where like you can literally look and say where is the pain in your body and i think of this idea of like pain is a temporary reminder of your current situation meaning it's like pain doesn't last forever it's a temporary reminder of like something's going on my foot hurts well my current situation my feet is because i've been wearing shoes and i've you know all these things like these 15 things i did in the past that have got me here whether that's pain it could be anxiety in your relationship it could be unhappiness you fatigue whatever it is if you can kind of associate like the mental psychological pain could be the situation and circumstances of your life your relationship the, the way you integrate with people around you the physical like the energetic feeling is going to be the food you eat that you're sleeping your light your water like the the health things the physical pain in your body is going to be your movement your capacity to engage with your the tissue of your body so you say okay i i may not like there's a thing but if i were the, the pain is bringing my attention to this thing so there's something you need to be able to work on. It's like, and so I can start to do, and once you start to like go, what you're saying is you can understand that there's a pain point here. I might not be ready to deal with a relationship, but I can start to look at other pieces like, okay, this is going on. But like, if I pay attention to my body, it's going to tell me the next thing to pay attention to. Okay. My feet hurt. Well, let me start to like do that. And I build confidence by the feet. Maybe I change my diet. Maybe I get to sleep on time. Then it's like, well, actually, let me go back and do the, you know, the thing that's really caused me the most anxious anxiety right now is my relationship with my girlfriend. And it's like, oh. Okay, well, now that I've got confidence, I've got momentum, now it's like I've, I've unlocked and unpacked my body in the sense I can let it expand. Yeah, yeah, and you, you won't go into that conversation with said girlfriend or, or whatever individual in your life from a reactionary state because you have manually moved your body from a sympathetic like fight-flight, mm-hmm. you know, just you're just on the edge ready to attack or shut down yeah. to now physiologically you're going into that conversation from a place of like of ease. Mm-hmm. Because you went, so maybe the, the, the girlfriend thing is that's the hard problem. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, like that's, before you go into the hard, hard problem, come back and like organize your house. Yeah. Wash your clothes, 
Maybe like get your car washed. I think someone famous is like uh, take the this plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's. <laughs> take the, the what was the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's. Yeah, right. Uh, but sure. it's just like the idea of like okay, like make sure you're in order before anything that's external in a sense, like the hard problems you have, like I hate my job, my girlfriends are mean to me, my parents are overbearing, whatever it is, like. Yeah, so those are all external things that yeah, you're you're part of the relationship, but like why don't you get your house in order and like, you know, make it And bed just and get stuff. started. Like people people mm-hmm. and you know, you you have have done, you know, quite a bit of coaching with with clients and such. Within coaching, like people need wins, you yes. know, and it's so so I, I think the person that's going to make it the f- the furthest whatever that means, it's a relative term, but the person that's going to um, be most, another relative term successful is probably the person that lived, a psychological term for is, is the, the, they've lived at their zone of proximal development for the longest. Yeah. You know, so they've lived like at their edge. Yeah. You know, so they're just continually in this process of making little micro progressions. And sometimes the thing that we want, that we desire, it's like, it feels so unattainable. Mm-hmm. You know, and to like that sensation of the progress of attaining that thing. You know, but there's all of these other micro opportunities to make these micro progressions that end up building up into, you know, at least a good sensation along along the road. And then eventually, typically, I think, you know, most people arrive wherever they arrive and they're like, oh, well, like, huh, here, here we are. Yeah. Well, it's like that you know, Faustine bargain where like, in order to get the thing you think you want, you have to give it up. And then by the time you get it, you don't really want it to begin with. Like, you yeah, you want you to get be there, super, like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, the person who really gets to be super rich and successful, like, stop caring about being rich and successful. Yeah. They just fell in love with the thing. And so by the time you get there, like, eh, whatever. We just need momentum. Yes. Yes. Like, 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 like a client or an individual or, you know, anyone, it's, it's momentum that gets a person to keep going. Like, I mean, it's, it's not pleasant to talk about, but like suicidal ideation and mm-hmm. self-harm and, you know, people wanting to not be in their bodies anymore and people wanting to like harm their, mm-hmm. their themselves. Like that's become their prerogative. That's statistically speaking is, is on the rise. Yeah. You know, and I think in the last couple of years, it's, you know, even more, I think the statistics are like yet to come out with that, but over the last couple of decades, that's been on the rise. Yeah. And so it's like, that's a person that's just got no momentum. Like all momentum gone. Like the car's stopped. Yeah. So then it's like it's not about if the car's the engine's not running. It's not about pressuring the car to like drive to California. Yeah. It's not about that. It's, it's about warming the fucking yeah. engine. <laughs> Get a blow dryer. Yeah. Like anything. Yeah. It- <laughs> well, I think that's the beauty of it when you can break it down to very simple things because like it's very and this is one of the things I. I I see, and I try not to be another perpetrator of, but I am just as much as the rest of us fitness nerds is like, it's very easy to get into like animal flow and talk about optimization, all this stuff. But it's like, how do you bring that down to the very simple thing of like the person who's just, they're like 50 pounds overweight, their feet hurt. They haven't touched the barefoot to the ground in forever. And they're like, they're just, life is falling apart. It's like, well, what's the first thing? It's like, let's just take your shoes off. And just like, it lets your body start to do that. So like, that's the thing is like, if we can boil it down to like, small wins you do this you get your feet off you start walking you're moving it's like your body will respond so quickly and i think encouraging people on that of like hey if you just take the small steps just start to do this one thing and the next thing and like you just do the next next step and you continue to go to the next step which is ironic you know, looking at the, the like the way we talk about feet is like just one step at a time you yeah. take your shoes off and keep taking steps of course your body will form around that and i think that feet are the foundation so that's kind of what i really stick with mm-hmm 
I want to take a moment and share something that is absolutely going beyond my expectations. That is supplementing with Ketone IQ from HVMN. It simulates a similar sensation that one would get from an extended fast. That sensation of mental clarity, focus, um, like a, a, a flow state. I find it to pair incredibly well with any type of nootropic supplement or caffeine. I really love it with coffee in the morning. I'll have it as a separate shot. And after drinking the stuff, you are not hungry. Like it cuts hunger for the next four to six hours. And I uh, feel just you feel clear. It's very nice. It's very pleasant. Uh, they have a $6 million contract presently with the U.S. Special Operations Command because the U.S. Special Operations finds this stuff valuable. So I think you guys will like it as well. If you want to get a 20% discount, you go to ketone-iq.com. Use promo code ALIGN20 for 20% discount. That's ketone-iq.com. Use promo code ALIGN20 for 20% discount. Ketone is spelled K-E-T-O-N-E-I-Q.com. Promo code ALIGN20. I'd like to take a moment to share something that I've been taking to make sure I'm covering all the bases with getting my greens. I've been taking Organifi's green juice for the last, it's been about three months. And I really love this stuff. Uh, it tastes absolutely delicious. It's like one of the best beverages you could possibly serve on a hot summer day. Throw some ice on there. It contains not only greens, but also adaptogenic mushrooms such as ashwagandha. It also has matcha green tea. So it's excellent for energy support, antioxidants, and genuinely being a refreshing beverage. So if you would like to get yourself a 20% discount on this or any other Organifi product, you can jump over to Organifi.com slash align. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash align for 20% off. If you're not totally satisfied with your purchase, you can get your money back. I think you guys are gonna love the green juice. I hope you enjoy. That's it, that's all. Organifi.com slash align. What are some other, so I, I'd like to get into some specific stuff and we're, we, we are about to record, we'll do a YouTube video and some stuff, other video stuff for Instagram, whatnot, of specific, specific, specific instructional content. But I would like to touch on some issues that are like common with people. So a couple things, one, like plantar fasciitis. Okay. What the hell's going on there? So. Uh, to defang this, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, turf toe are really the, the they're most almost all of the foot problems you see the semantics for the same thing. So anytime we talk about fascia, which is the connective tissue, just connective tissue, uh, we talked about that earlier in a sense. And one of the things that's valuable is if you think about fascia in the same way you think about like a, a plant, right, like um, a, a cactus or something. If you press into that plant, you get water that comes out of it in a sense. And so in between the layers of fascia, which kind of look like baklava, if you, you know, you've seen the flaky layers, uh, but it's not flaky. But if you press down into that, you get some liquid that comes out of it in a sense. And so this is a very broad, very inaccurate categorization of it. Categori categorization. Categorization. That's about right categorization but if you press into it and you get movement you it's a self-lubricating tissue which you get something that's called hyaluronic acid that's in between this and so the goal of this stuff is when you don't get stimuli to the connective tissue it dehydrates because that hyaluronic that hydrating fluid in between the tissue layers doesn't get out and so 
I know, like, when you talk about this stuff, it can seem like, oh, that seems very woo-woo. It's like, no, this is exactly what happens. Like, you can go look this stuff up. It's like, in the same way, if I move my arm and move my muscles, I get blood flowing to the muscles. When I move my connective tissue, and the difference is moving the muscles doesn't necessitate that you're moving all of the range of connective tissue we have. So there's two parts. Is one is getting some circulation and blood flow to the body. And this is where you can get uh, myofascial release. You can get foam rolling, something like uh, massaging, needling, things like that can help because I do get some uh, cupping, some of that stuff. Like you can overdo it and it's only helpful in so much as you get some awareness to the body, gets you to feel some of these things, get some movement going in some of these tissues. If you pair that with what's called short range, your muscle, muscly movements, when I do like flexing, anything gets a pump. If I'm pushing and pulling a sled and my legs feel pumped, that's a muscly short range movement. Then once the body is warm, I got some circulation going between my tissues. That's when I want to do what are like really loaded stretches. So I do stretches and I lengthen my muscle and I pull all, I pull the muscle to a full range of motion so that the muscle can't contribute much and I'm relying on the strength of my connective tissue or my tendons at each side to support this. Then I add in some load, which are consequence basically because it's like you're talking to a kid. If the kid doesn't know, like you say, I don't do this. And they go, well, why? Don't do this because if you do that, this will happen. You have to give consequences. You have to get rules. Like no one would go to the speed limit if there wasn't cops. It's consequences. And so our body responds to consequences in the same way. And consequences are, I have to fight against gravity or else I'm going to get injured. So the way we get into these loaded stretches, we stretch the body out and we hold weight and we doing, it's like doing yoga or doing some type of like extended position that forces you to really engage and not just like check out. I can't just sit there and have someone hold my hamstring for like 20 minutes thinking it's going to work. I have to like put my hamstring in a situation where this is uncomfortable and I have to like actually teach my body how to move. That starts to get the tissue healthy under the connective tissue or in the connective tissue. And what's important is that plantar fasciitis, you have a strip of connective tissue from the balls of your feet, so the metatarsal phalange joint, all the way to your heel. That is basically, it's a taut band of connective tissue that is part and parcel of the arch that stretches and releases in response to stress when you're jumping and running. So with that, what you want to think about is if I don't have movement to the big toe, then both ends of that don't get stimulus. If the connective tissue doesn't get stimulus, it dries out because nothing is getting the hydrate, nothing's getting oil through the engine. In the same way, a car, if you don't turn it on every now, then the oil doesn't flow through the engine. If you don't use your muscles, blood doesn't flow through the joints. Synovial fluid doesn't flow through the joint capsule. It's the same thing with this connective tissue. So basically, it's to say, in a safe environment, I have Achilles tendonitis, I have plantar fasciitis, I have uh, turf toe, which can be a few different things, but generally it's like the ligaments around the toe are getting stiff and it's causing a, a fibrotic, which is a hardening of the tissue around the connective tissue and muscle. That's not moving well. It gets stiff, it gets dehydrated, and it gets painful. Just like pulling your hair, it hurts your scalp. That's all it is. All the patellar tendonitis, all of the itises are that same underlying function. So the way to fix that is to get movement to the foot. You can do some like you can grab a ball, you can roll out the bottom of your foot. That's very helpful. But you pair that with like toe crunches. This is why I talk so much about getting your toes to move again, because if you can't move your toes, you can't get blood flow to your feet and ankle. And if you can't do that, then you can't pull on the tissues inside your foot that are connected and causing pain. So you get pressure, you get some tissue moving with a, the rolling on a ball or something along those lines. Then you get the toes to move. You do some foot crunches where you're basically squeezing your toes in, flexing and extending to get some blood flow. And then you start to do the long range stuff where you can stretch out the big toe, the big toe thumbs up is what we are talking about earlier. That pulls on the connective tissue that goes from the big toe to the plantar fascia to the Achilles tendon. It starts to create some length in that. And that length under load teaches the body that, hey, we need to have some healthy plyometric or pliable tissue. And just like a rubber band, when we start to go from a dilapidated rubber band that's kind of torn and worn and doesn't really stretch and pop back, our body is a biological dynamic system that constantly remodels in response to the stresses. So when we give it a stress that says, hey, we need this, the tissue starts to get some length and gets a little bit more of that bounce back. We pair that with the rhythmic movement. So running, walking, jumping, dancing, just swinging, throwing, carrying. 
all of the movements in our body are built off of rhythmic repeated exposure. And if it's something we do rhythmically, our body wants to find an easier way to do it. So we could either use a bunch of muscle and bone to move every single time. And that's, that's painful. That's a lot of work. It's tiring. Or we could have a rubber band-like system in our body that says, hey, when I pull this, it pops back, and that pop back triggers another system. So pulling a rubber band, and the rubber band is bouncing back and forth and back and forth, we need that type of stimulus for our body. That's for jumping rope, jumping on a trampoline, bouncing up and down, walking. All these things are very valuable if we do them correctly, meaning we take the feedback inhibiting things like the shoes out of the equation. So when I'm walking, I'm walking and loading. That rhythmic movement trains the connective tissue and it all works together. I get pressure, get the tissue hydrated, get the muscles engaging, get the long range stuff to remodel the tissue. And then I work to actually cement that with plyometric rhythmic loading. That's, that's the whole process. That's it. Pretty simple. But it's just like thinking about that from the perspective of like plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis. Shin splints have a very similar thing because most shin splints are referred to pain in the lower inside portion of the leg. Sometimes it is a microfractures of the bone, although it's not that common. And those are just like you have to let the bone remodel and harden. But the question is, what is the poor loading you went through in the first place that caused that poor loading on the bone? And so that's where you look at like, okay, well, my feet are generally stiff. They can't move and I can't run well. So I'm loading the bone directly instead of the tendons and the ligaments and the sorry, tendons and the fascia and the muscle. But within that, the shin splints that are, uh, let's say, called posterior tibialis, which is the muscle, uh, flexor digitorum longus, flexor hallucis longus, which are all muscles. And they have tendons that wrap around behind the ankle and behind the shin. And they insert just like hair on a scalp on the tibia, which is that shin bone. So basically, when those don't get this pushing and pulling and remodeling and they dehydrate, they pull. And every time I run and my arches collapse in, my feet and ankles collapse in because I'm landing on my heels or I'm wearing big shoes that let me overstride or I don't have any integrity of my feet and I can't move them, that creates a pulling thing. Just like every single time someone pulling on your ponytail or your hair, it's going to hurt over and over and over again. That's exactly what's happened. So fundamentally, it is learning to restore the healthier tissues, practice better patterns. So standing with your feet pointing straight, learning how to engage the arch, learning how to spread the toes, learning how to walk and jump and move in a way that actually loads the stuff and creates tension up the body in this fashion system. That's how you go from in pain to healthy and go from healthy to being quote unquote bulletproof, which is the capable to running and jumping and doing everything you're meant to do without ever having to worry about going back. And then if you do have like lapses where you sit down too much because you're driving across country or whatever it is, you have a whole set of toolkits that's saying, ah, yeah, my knees are a little stiff, but I know exactly what to do about it. Yep. Because you're not hoping that something's going to work out. You have faith in exactly what you know about how the body works. I think the, the, a big key with all of this, there's several keys, but one of the, the keys, and we'll, we'll wrap up quite soon because we need to, need to do some filming, but is differentiation, like tissue differentiation. Yes. yes, yes. And so when you have, you know, one, I think the foot has like 33 joints. I don't remember uh, how many it's bones. 26 it has, bones, right? 26, 33 26 joints. 26 bones, yeah. 33 joints, yeah. And the hands have 27 bones? Uh, the hands. They have more bones, I believe, right? They it's have 26, one more, they have 27 hands. One more bones. What? Yeah. yeah one, more, one more. One more. It's interesting. And the reason I say that is just it's the, the level of complexity that our hands and feet possess is crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like the amount of variations of, of movement within the hand and the foot in any given step, like you've never had the same step. Every step literally is a snowflake. Yeah. Like it's ne there's never just been, like the, there's never been the same one. And, and and to begin to bind that whole entire like miracle of potential of potential, which sounds a little bit like excessively po poetic, but to just constrict that and limit it into pretty much like a flipper, yeah, like cool, like you went from like myriad, you know, I impossible to count variations of potential to twelve, yeah, 
like that, you've 12. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and then, you know, within that, and so there's a couple things, one like more structural thing, working with differentiating the connective tissue, that's what allows those connective tissue layers to begin to slide. Mm-hmm. It's also a high concentration of the mechanoreceptors in the cells that mm-hmm. dictate or determine or control tonicity of the muscle. So yeah. if you're going through and you'd like to start to regulate the tone of your musculature, getting in between those muscle bellies and, you know, cause I think oftentimes the common prescription would be like, and this I think is a lot of people probably kind of get, this isn't really the most ideal way to do it, but it's just like smash tissue. Yeah. So you get a foam roller, you're just taking the pattern mm-hmm. and you're just smashing it to be a bit smaller, yeah, you know, and then you're just smashing over the pattern. Another potential approach is to go in to actually differentiate those fibers, like grab the muscle bellies. Yeah. I'm thinking of Trump saying like, grab her by the pussy or whatever is <laughs> saying that. You know, so you grab the muscle bellies, get your fingers, get your digits in there, get, you know, whatever tool you got yeah. and start to just get curious and just explore and kind of start to create a little. And what you'll notice, what did feel more rigid will start to feel softer. And that softness is, is literally the, the perforation of fluid and the hyal- hyaluronic acid mm-hmm. and all the different fluid compounds that are going in there to like, that allow the tissue to respond and be healthy and pain-free and yeah. adaptive and athletic Absolutely. and longevity and all of those things manifest just as a product of differentiation, which then translates to hydration. That's it. Fucking nail yeah. it. You know? It all starts with unpacking <laughs> the feet. You literally just pull your toe, take your feet out of the shoes. Um, this is fun, man. That was that was an uh, hour and hour and a half with a little interlude of uh, technical technical difficulties. Is there it anything felt like else? like an eternity looking into your eyes. Oh, that's very sweet. Uh, is there anything else we should uh, touch on? Or should we just go go shoot some? We should shoot, shoot some, some stuff. We'll have some videos. Um, but I would say, cool. like, if you, if this is something, again, I don't have a method or a thing. There's not like an acronym I'm hiding behind. Yeah. Uh, but if you do have, uh, I have a program that will walk you through this stuff. Uh, it's called Ready to Run. Not a running program, but it's Ready to Run. Pay cool. attention. Um, but it's over 1,300 people have gone through it. You, everything I told you on this is exactly what you need to know. It's the process if you know how to apply it. If you want a little bit more knowledge about it, want some coaching, want a step-by-step process, that's good. I launch at the beginning of every month. It's there just as a resource for people. But, again, like there's no secret. So. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I asked one question at the end that's specific to the Align community. Ah, so please. people got to jump over to check out the Align community. So final question. Ah, okay. The final is I didn't have a pre I didn't have a, a preconceived question for this. So this is coming up on the on the fly. Uh, what are some of the most the most common mistake that you see people make when trying to unpack the feet? Like mistakes that people are making where it's like if they were just doing these couple of things, everything would be a lot easier, but people aren't really doing these couple of things. Is there some standouts? I mean, there's a few. Uh, one is the entire... So if you have a misalignment of your understanding of your body and you think, I have to have a shoe, I have to have an orthotic, that's con- anything that puts uh, stiffness in your body, like that is taking you towards a path of weakness. So the uh, the entire perception that another shot, another procedure, another surgeon, another pill, another orthotic, another shoe is going to help you, that's the first and foremost. That's the worst thing because it is right. only taking you down the path of more dependence on that thing. So the, the act of like thinking someone's going to fix it for you, like that's the worst part. But when they do make the shift, it's understanding like – the fascia itself takes three to six months, four to six months, really, to remodel. So it's not just a matter of like, oh, I, I did this. I've been doing this stuff. Uh, there's probably three levels. There's one is like being patient and playing the long game. I got to get the tissue healthy and I got to give it time to really get to another set point. So that's 
that's part and parcel. You can't go too fast. Like that's the biggest mistake people make. The next biggest mistake people make to so the these three is understanding that okay, just because you wear minimal shoes and or, uh, here's one, there are no perfect shoes. Like it's not like there is a shoe that will fix you. And then it's like you see it on both sides, both the Hoka and then on the super minimalist side. They're like, buy my shoe, it'll fix your problems. No shoe can do for your foot what your foot should do for itself. Like mm. that's that's a bar none. Like that's a simple one. But then I would say the thing that because each level, this person who just is in foot pain, they only know what to do. It's like the biggest mistake is continuing to just go down the line if someone's going to fix this. Then, the, and even that is a, a offshoot of that is saying, oh, I just need a different shoe. And that is a true lie that's told on both sides of the shoe spectrum. Then the other side of that is people, all right, let me make the jump to this stuff. They want to do it all really quick. And they're like, well, I tried the thing for two weeks. I had a guy who was like, uh, his girlfriend had a bunion and he wanted to do the program. He's like, we'll fix the bunions. And I was like, absolutely if you just continue to work on this stuff but it depends on how long you want to focus on it and he's like well we tried it for two weeks she couldn't move her toes and so we just got surgery and i was like it's not mutually exclusive like you have to stick with this stuff it took you a long time to get the point where your toes can't move and you have to let the neurological circuits rewire so it's that but the real big thing that i see when i'm talking to people who have you know they're wearing the shoes they're like the minimalist shoes they get the vibrams or the vivos or whatever it is zeros and then they go and say, well, I've been doing this and I've been wearing barefoot. I've been doing this for four years. My feet are great. It's like, okay, there's something, there's a difference between your feet not hurting and your feet being capable. Meaning there's a lot of people whose feet don't hurt, but they could not go do barefoot sprints. They couldn't jump on one foot. They couldn't go and like, they, they hurt when they run or they don't have the capacity to use their feet like they're supposed to. Like they can't do this. Uh, there's a video that circulated a while back that was like the Maasai tribe. These, these skinny people just literally wearing these red robes jumping like 30 inches off the ground, bouncing and they're barefoot. They're not even bending their knees. And it's like, that's what your feet are meant to do. So you can't stop with just, oh, I can wiggle my toes and I wear barefoot shoes. That's great. That's getting you in the door. Your body is meant for so much more and it starts with your feet. So if you just get your feet moving and do that stuff, that's good. But you will not have completed the whole cycle until you can go and do the actual running drill. It's the plyometrics. It's the jump roping. It's the single leg bounding. It's the sprinting. It means it's like, and sprinting is a relative term. But it means you have to have some type of loaded intensive movement. And if you don't have that, you're not getting enough stimulus for the feet, ankle, and the rest of the body. So, like, the biggest the, – at different levels, there's cognitive mistakes that people make. But the number one is, like, oh, yeah, I just have the shoes and, like, I've done the foot stuff. It's like, that's good. Now you can actually start the training. It's like you did the wax on, wax off thing. Now let's actually start your training. Like, that's the fun part that I, I think people miss because they think they, they, like, they're like, oh, my feet don't hurt. I only do the program. It's like, no, no, no. This is the beginning. Your feet not hurting is the beginning. Like we finally got you in the door. Now let's really explore and see what you can do. And that's the fun part. But, you know, it's like at each level people get off the train and they missed out on like the, your body can do so much more, but it all starts with the feet. And it's like if you don't take the next step, like get out of the, the helpless mindset, get out of the idea of like a shoe is going to fix my feet, and then get out of the idea of like I just had had, you know, I just did the toe wiggle movements. It's like there's a whole world around you, like balancing, squatting. Like there's so much. It's like how your body's meant to move. So Cool. Thank you, man. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this. Thank you. This is my pleasure. And we're going to go, I think we're going to do a YouTube video on how to sprint. What's like foundational steps to learning to sprint? Because I think that's a very technical That right there. there. We'll see about that one. I think we, because um, that's one thing I've noticed. So like I was out at Mark's place, uh, Mark Bell's gym, and he had a guy from Functional Patterns out there. He had the guys from Goat out there. He had a guy from Pose Running. And all three of these guys talked about it. And, you know, there's David Weck has a lot. He's a guy, guy too. Yeah. All three of these guys are all talking about, they have very similar patterns of how to move, like how the feet engage fascial. They're talking about torsion and creating uh, strength of the body. All three of them had different processes on how to run. Oh, yeah. And it's like, 
I realize that running is both contextual, and we can make a video to talk about this, but running is contextual on your not cognitive knowledge of the safety of the surface, meaning how flat, how smooth, how hole-free it is, yeah. how even it is, the speed at which you're going to go, the distance you're going to go. And is that just to be, hear me out, there is never a time where you should heel strike. It is just, it's, it, it is not a heel, like maybe walking, you can land your heel softly. But What about going down a hill? Uh, so uh, let me actually, but think about it. Going down a hill is not running, it's decelerating. So like, think about it. So that's what people say, because I've made a, you talk about it. Like if you're going down a hill or you're changing directions, this is what I'm saying. They're like they're people throw all these things into one word and say, like, oh, I'm going down a hill. Well, or like, what about football players when they change of directions? Well, that's not running. That's agility. That's that's change of directions. That's deceleration, acceleration. And yeah. so it's like, if I'm running, it implies that I'm making steps. I'm either maintaining. If I'm accelerating, I'm improving my speed. But I make up forward motion. That yeah. I'm intending to either maintain or increase that speed. Right. It's always on the forefoot. If I need to slow down, yeah, my heel may make contact. Sure. Totally fine. But that's not running in a sense. It may be involved in the same thing. It's like you know, driving your car, like, and I don't want to get to the level of semantics, but it is one of those things where, like, if a football player, like, there's a difference in someone that's running a 5K versus playing football where they have to, like... So there's no heel striking like, in acceleration. Or of, maintaining of, your of, speed. Of running, or maintaining. Yeah, because that's heel fair. striking is a breaking force. Anytime you I land understand. there, that force goes up in your body. Yeah, I understand. So if I want to slow down yeah. and go down, going downhill, unless I can really go with it and speed up, I'm going to follow my face if I I thought you said there was a never time in... Movement. Well, in, That's in, a great, in, in yeah. running, which running, I would include deceleration as a part of running as well. But yeah, I hear you. So, and again, it's a semantic thing and I don't want to get too far into that, but it's like the, the point of saying like, okay, when I'm talking about running, because people want to talk about the edge cases, all right? No one runs downhill all the time. Yeah. Like, okay, you run downhill as part of something. And so let's say I'm moving downhill, but I'm controlling my motion as I go downhill. And in many ways, it's like I'm mitigating it. And so what do I do? Well, I heel strike to slow that down. So the, the broad thing is, yes, there are edge cases. You're, I'm never seeing your heels may never make contact. Yep. The point of like, in the event that you want to maintain an effective force production, maintain a speed or accelerate and use your force complex of the foot, ankle, lower leg, you would never strike with the heel first. Yeah, I get that. So that's a big thing. And even then it's like, you know, if you, it's, it's funny because people are like, well, what's your source? I'm like, well, take your shoes off and tell me how comfortable it is. Sure. It is. And it will never change. Your heel bone will never get more springy. It just will never do it. So it's like, you know, like, I don't know what people argue against that for. It's like, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a nuanced conversation, but we can talk about that. Well, uh, so folks from here, highly recommend jumping over to the YouTube channel. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll have it at, at Align Podcast. Um, I don't, we, you have a YouTube channel as, as well, I presume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what is it's, yours? It's a uh, Graham Tuttle, just my name, but I probably should change it to the Barefoot Spinner at some point. Yeah, right. One of those uh, this, <laughs> yeah, right. This, this may or may not be over there as, as, as well. And then we'll also be posting some specific instructional content over on both Instagrams minus Align Podcast. Yours is uh, the Barefoot Sprinter. The Barefoot Sprinter. Yeah. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you all for tuning in. That is it. That is all. Peace out. I hope you guys dug that conversation. Once again, jump over and check the Align Podcast YouTube page. We post new content on there every single day in the form of YouTube shorts. And we post one new instructional video each week. We have a whole library on there. Highly recommend checking out the most recent video with Graham Tuttle, the Barefoot Sprinter, guest of this podcast. We break down five fundamentals on how to sprint better. They are absolutely paramount for your running ability, your walking ability, and the general agility and longevity of that sweet, sultry, supple, 
body of yours. So jump over to the Align Podcast YouTube page. Check that out. We also post each day on TikTok. That's Align Podcast. Instagram, that's Align Podcast. Share this wherever you do. You can tag the Barefoot Sprinter and myself and Align Podcast. We love seeing these guys. We love resharing them. And I uh, appreciate you so much. Look forward to chatting into your ear holes next week.